Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right, so as we begin our journey toward Easter, uh, we're starting a new teaching series. And um, our new teaching series is called Life Between Two Gardens, okay? Kick this thing, go ahead. Um, Jumpstart it. Um, help. Uh, life Between Two Gardens. You'll see it on, uh, up on the screen, maybe. Um, help me, folks. Where are we at? Okay, not up there either. All right, on the front of your pulse, we'll do it like we do Heritage, okay? On the front of your pulse is uh, help. I'm up here dying. My tech team is just staring at me. Um, on the front of your pulse is a picture. Um, on the left is an artist's rendering of the Garden of Eden. On the right is a picture of what's called the Garden Tomb in Israel. It's an actual place. It isn't the tomb of Jesus, but it is an authentic tomb at the time of Jesus, around that time, that was in a garden. And we're looking at this theme of life between two gardens. There it is. Uh, life between two gardens, right? The rendering, the actual garden tomb in Israel. Those who have traveled with us, uh, Terry and I in 17 and 19, we actually visited that location. And we're looking at a new tour in 21. I'll be talking later about that, um, where you can visit that too. Okay, now that I'm settled. Um, why we're taking this theme up is because this image of a garden runs throughout Scripture. We, we remember that creation happened in the Garden of Eden, right? And then when Jesus is raised from the dead, the resurrection, it, John tells us it happened in a garden. In fact, when Mary Magdalene went looking for Jesus and she found him, she thought he was what? The gardener. And all the way at the end of the Bible in Revelation, when it says God re, you know, restores all creation. It's a new city. It's a new Jerusalem. It's an urban Mecca. It's not just a man, a woman out in a garden. It's people, conglomerates of people, busyness and, and, and joy as we're all together. But even in Revelation, the new Jerusalem, chapter 21, if you read chapter 22, God puts some green space in his new city. And the tree of life is back with the river running through it. And the tree of life brings seeds and fruit on both sides. So it begins in a garden. It's resurrected in a garden. And even in this great new city, there's images of a restored garden of Eden. So the first point, we're going to look at these together today. We're going to start with Genesis 1. I reflected a little bit on that last week. Uh, and then get into Genesis 2. We're going to remember that life begins in a garden. Okay? Life begins in a garden. So if you know anything about creation uh, stories in Genesis, if you study under a decent biblical scholar, they'll tell you that there really are two creation stories in the Bible. Don't let that rattle you. I'll tell you why. Genesis 1 talks about God speaking 
creation into existence. And Genesis 2 talks about God reaching in to what is and creating. This is really important, okay? Because this, I'm going to use two big words. I promise I won't use them again. It tells a story of transcendence and imminence. Those are the scholarly words. It tells us transcendence. God is out there. God is everywhere. God is over all things. In the New Testament, heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. God is beyond the heavens and the author of the universe. See, all of the major world religions say that. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism. God is omnipresent. God is out there. Now here's something that Christians say that actually offend the Eastern religions. God is not just out there. God is right here. Emmanuel, God with us. God reaches into the dirt. Jesus enters into the flesh. Now be gentle with people from Eastern religions because that is absolutely offensive to them. God is too holy to get involved, to get God's hands dirty, to become bloody on a cross. That is a sacrilege. But even in the beginning, we say our God is both and, not either or. That God is over all things. So I do not have to fear when, when pestilence comes or wars come. I mean, we struggle on this side, but we know God is above all things. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trial and tribulation, but don't be afraid because I've overcome not just the trial and tribulation, I've overcome the world, right? But yet, I'm not worried because I'm surrounded by you. We just sang that. You're right next to me. You're with me when I really need you. This is what the scriptures say. Today, we want to look at that first creation story, and I'll just read a little snippet of it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of the God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let's all say it. Gosh, you guys are so good. You might save my voice. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, thank you, Lord, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. I've given you every plant yielding seed, every tree with seed and its fruit, You'll have for food and every beast of the earth and every bird of the air, everything that creeps on the earth. He didn't have to give me that. Um, Everything that has breath of life. I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that God had made. And indeed it was, say it with me, very good. Okay? This is the story. It's important, this image of a garden. Because in the ancient Near East, back in those days, If there was a king or a ruler or a pharaoh or an emperor, in the king's palace grounds, there was always a lush and an opulent garden. Lush. You know, you've heard of the hanging gardens of Babylon. and You've seen this there. It was enormously immense. And it actually, we still do some of that today. In 2017, I had to preach in London. And my wife and I went to Buckingham Palace. Have you ever seen the gardens at Buckingham Palace? Like, I I went there, and they have a gardening crew as big as Disney to take care of it. And before you say, well, we don't do that in the United States, 
How many speeches are made from the rose? Right? And in that day and age, that was a sign of power and of wealth and of prestige. And we took it in today. And you would go and there would be these lush gardens and, and they would be lavish. And in that region, if you know, those who have traveled with me, it was very arid. There wasn't a lot of water. Remember that? We can find all the ancient cities because they were all built by water supplies. But the king's garden had to have waterfalls. So you know how they did it? There were slaves that 24 hours a day were pumping these pumps so it could look like there was water. And they would import animals. You ever seen the movies where they come in to honor and they bring a tiger or they bring a cheetah or something? That was a true story. Because the king would put those out in their garden. You thought just Michael Jackson did that. (laughs) He got it from them. It was. It was like a zoo, an arboreum. And these were lush gardens, and it it was a sign of the king's power. And guess what? The most highest privilege you could ever receive was not just to be invited into the king's presence, but if the king invited you to take a walk, where? In his garden. It was the ultimate uh, honor that could be bestowed. Now look what, what what creation says. Yes, there is a king with a great garden, but he didn't manufacture it. There's no slaves behind the curtain making the water. He created the waters and separated them from the dry land. Waterfalls weren't make-believe, go out to South Africa or other places and look at the Victorian Falls and see that this is created by God. And he, he didn't have to import flora and fauna or, or invite in exotic animals. God just spoke them into existence and said, this is the king's garden, the ultimate king. And what does he invite us to do? Walk with him in his garden. What an honor. You say, well, where's that in the story, Chip? Wait till we get next week. Remember, Adam and Eve were out there and they heard God what? Walking in the garden saying, where are you? You're supposed to be walking with me. So listen, if you think it would have been a big deal to be called by the king of Babylon to go take a walk in some of the most exotic gardens of of the world and you'd be in awe, oh, look at this important person, be in awe that the king of all creation has created the earth and everything in it and says, I've created you and I want you to take a walk with me. That is a position of honor. If you don't remember anything else from this message as we go into the Lenten journey, It's no wonder that Jesus gave everything for us because God created everything for us. And so when we look at this story, I want to say to you, there were many different creation stories by myths by all the different cultures. Don't be offended by that or say, oh, you know, what's going on? Every single culture in the world is looking for answers to the big questions. Why are we here? Does life matter? This happens all the time. You see the culture doing it. I, I was very moved last week. I, I tuned in. I care where the culture is. And I watched the, the big memorial service at Staples Arena for Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi. And, and you know what? There was an outpouring and tens of thousands of people. How many of those go to church? No, God. I'm not being judgmental. Very few. But they're asking big questions. And see, when the church fails to be the church... People will go find church somewhere else. And they'll go ask the questions. And we don't, we don't scorn it. We say we want to be in it. 
Because every, every, every culture that's ever existed has asked these big questions. But God chose the nation of Israel, not because they were better, but said to Abraham and Sarah and all clear through the Exodus, I want you to go and tell the real story in the midst of all the stories. You're not better than anybody, Abraham, but I'm going to bless you and through you, other people will be blessed. He, remember in creation, God said, we bless them. And he, and he took Moses and the people and said, I want you to be a light, what? To yourselves, to the nations. And so Israel told the story. If you read the other creation stories, I've read all of them. I've read the, read the epic of Gilgamesh, if you've heard that. I've read the uh, Arashis uh, epic from the Babylonian. I've read all the creation stories, the myths. The ep- and you know what? There's some common threads. And it's as though God is speaking and saying, yeah, we, you're, you're, you're sensing it, but let me refine it for you. Because the differences in these stories are amazing. Because in the other creation stories, all the myths that even predate this story and when they were written down, it said that there were many gods, conflicted gods, out there. And, and, and our story says, no, but there's one God. There's a one behind the many. There is one center of the universe. There's one heartbeat of the universe. The gods are not as confused as we are. There's one God. Very different. And in those stories, those gods are at war. And they're fighting like we do. Right? You know, George Bernard Shaw got right when he said, God created us in God's image and we returned the favor. Like we tend to create gods in our image. And they said, they're at war, they're in conflict. And all the creation, and it was just kind of an afterthought. And, and no, the Bible says, no, our God is not out to destroy. Our God is out to create. And God... God isn't conflicted. God is harmony. This reads like poetry. It was morning and evening, and it was the first day. <clears throat> Sorry, I need a waterfall. And it, it says that. And the other thing that's interesting in those stories, that when humans were created, you know what we were created to be? Slaves. Serve the gods. Burn incense. Go offer the terrible things. Hercules, do all your different tasks so that the gods will be pleased that they're up there uh, eating grapes and drinking wine and we're just these peons. And it says, no. God did not create us to be slaves pumping waterfalls behind the curtains. God created us as the, in God's own image <coughs> to be the objects of God's affection. These are very different. And that's why it's very important to know that these stories were not created to tell us the how of creation. So we get confused. It's to tell us the why and the who of creation. So let's look at the why of creation. First off, let me tell you, understand these stories are not science lectures. I think a few of you think they are because you're looking at me like, huh? No, they're not science lectures. <clears throat> this is where we mess up. They were not telling us how God created, but there are people that believe that, literally. They believe these are literally every comma and semicolon, a, a, a scientific theorem on, on how God created. And some people actually have taken all the genealogies of Genesis and they've reduced them down and they're convinced and you can read it on the internet so it has to be true that the world was created in 4004 B.C. In fact, in the last couple decades, they've gotten so precise, they tell us it was in October. And that the world was created in seven literal days. 
And they missed the whole point. God wasn't, their Action 5 Channel News was not on site recording this event. God was not telling us how he created. God was telling us why he created. John Calvin, we're missing the story. John Calvin, the great reformer, says God speaks to us the way we speak to infants. Goo-goos and gagas. Right? What did God say through Isaiah? My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. The old African-American preachers used to say, your arms are too short to box with God. And I would say, your brain is too small to figure him out. When Moses says, I want to see your face. Moses, what are you talking about? For you to understand my ways and see who I really am, it would blow your hard drive and you would die. It is telling us the why of God created. And that the center of the universe is not a mad scientist cooking things up. But as I said last week, an artist and a poet and a lover and a creator beyond our deepest imaginations. And so he's telling us why he created. To, to create, to, to have a relationship, to walk with us. And also then we learn the who of creation. In the beginning... Two people, come on, let's do it. In the beginning, God's always a good answer in church. Second only to Jesus. One more time. In the beginning, all right, we're getting there. See, unexplained, uncreated. See, and I love this because children come to me. I've been in ministry now for 30 years, and I love it when children come to me and they ask the questions, right? You know what they'll say to me? Who created God? You know what my answer is? Go ask your mom and dad. So I say, right? When I was in New Jersey, I had this wonderful, it's my first church. I was a youth pastor, and there was a little five-year-old named Katie. Man, you ever have them precocious kids that, you know, why? Oh, because this, why? Because, why? Right? But Katie was, her computer went, and one day I was in my office, and the receptionist buzzed me. She said, you have an important visitor. I came out, oh, man, it's Katie. (laughs) Katie's looking for me. I, I did all the right things. You get down on your haunches, look eye to eye. And she said, Pastor Chip, what kind of food are we going to eat in heaven? I was so close to saying, go ask your mom and dad. But then it came to me. The Holy Spirit reminded me. I said, well, Katie, in the Bible, Paul, great leader, talks to Jesus. He said, in heaven, we're going to have spiritual bodies. We're going to give up the perishable for the imperishable. Can you believe I said that to a five-year-old? Um, we're going to give up the physical body and we'll have spiritual bodies. So Katie, we're going to probably eat spiritual food. Man, I thought I nailed it. She nodded her head. She walked to the receptionist's desk. My receptionist said, how'd it go? She said, he doesn't know either. <laughs> Who created God? We don't know. When Moses asked for God's name at the burning bush, remember? That was a way to control gods in that day and age. What is your name? If you could name the God, you could control the God. And God said, Moses, don't play games with me. I am. Okay, what? Being itself. I'm the center. I'm it. Right? Unexplained. Uncreated. No one can vote God in. No one can vote God out. And that's just all we know. And actually, us in science agree on this. We're not in conflict. Because science says, all science and Genesis says, there was a beginning to the universe. Anybody know Stephen Hawking? No, he re- re- you know, smart guy. 
Cosmos, one of the great authors of Cosmos. He said this. I read his article. Scientists basically believe that the universe started 13 billion years ago. Hawking believes 15 billion years ago. They kind of believe in consensus it was the Big Bang, right? And, and Hawking said, he wrote his article, he was sharing in an interview, the Big Bang happened, he believed 15 billion years ago. And there was a reporter out there, scientists, but there was still a child in them, because they said, well, Dr. Hawking, what was there before the Big Bang? What was there before the dust? You know what he said? Go ask your mom and dad. <laughs> he did. You know what he said? Greatest mind. I don't know. All we know is in the beginning, the who? God. And we owe all of our existence to him. Every good thing, the Bible says, comes from above. All of creation, all of life, everything you love, love itself. Supernatural. Who's ever touched love? Right? It's out there. It's there. In fact, when someone you love dies, does the love go away? Supernatural. Unexplained from the author of love itself. And so we have to understand that creation is a gift. The gift of creation. In the image of God, he created us. This is everything has been given to us. And you know what that teaches us? That if life begins in a garden and the king invites us to walk with him in the garden, that's where we're walking the journey of land, that our response to a gift is what? When someone gives you a gift, you say, yeah. This says the fundamental posture of our life should be gratitude. We should live thanking God. Even in the hardest of times that he gave us the gift of life, of breath, of all creation, of our planet, of one another. That we should live in fundamental gratitude. You know who tells us this? Science again. See, I'm in Genesis and I'm backing up the science. Because all psychoanalysts and neuro, neurologists and everything will say that the people that, who live the best lives are people of gratitude. See, it shows what we're supposed to be. Here's what they just wrote in the psychological review. People who are grateful and routinely express gratitude are always more successful at their crafts and in their careers. They live longer and healthier lives. When depressed, and we all get depressed, they tend to get over their depression faster. Even when they're struggling, they find a sense of peace in their struggles. And watch this. Boy, do we need this. They tend to get along with people, even those they disagree with. See, we were created to be people of gratitude, right? Um, I'm going to skip the psalm. I, I, I'm going to go to another philosopher. My wife's not in the room, so I can put his picture on the screen. His name's Denzel Washington. When he comes on at home, I turn off the TV. I do. I'm not that secure. Married 30 years. No, you can't. She's got a... Anyhow, she likes Denzel. Um, but Denzel, if you don't know, he was a son of a Pentecostal... Or he is the son of a Pentecostal pastor. 60 years in the Church of God in Christ, where Pastor Steve, uh, our own Pastor Steve Furr comes out of. And uh, Denzel was asked to speak, <coughs> excuse me, to his father's entire denomination, thousands of people. And look what he said to them. He said, a bad attitude is like a flat tire. Until you change it, you're not going anywhere. Wow. Give thanks for blessings every day. Every day. Embrace gratitude. Encourage others. Because it is impossible to be grateful and hateful at the same time. Wow. See, we're all messed up in the world. 
We're all messed up in the world because we forgot our fundamental posture of gratitude. That everything comes from God. I love in that same speech, you know what he told him? He said, when you take your up at night and you take your slippers off, don't put them under the bed. He said, kick them all the way under. Because then in the morning, guess what you got to do? Get down to your knees to reach your slippers. And he says, while you're down there, you might as well say, thank you, God. Good words, Denzel. You can be on my TV one more time. So if we're grateful for all God has given us and we realize he's given it to us, we should care for it. When we've been given a wonderful gift, take care of it, right? The care of creation. God said, let us make people in our image, right? Let them have dominion. This has been so misunderstood. I'm going to talk about that. Over the fish, the birds, the cattle, the wild animals of the earth, be fruitful and multiply the earth and fill it and subdue it. Have dominion over. See, this is where English is such a messed up language. Because we've turned that word dominion comes from the word domination. And we thought when God said have dominion, it means dominate the earth. So we began to rape the earth. And we, you know, took advantage of the resources, the industrial revolution and beyond, right? That word dominion in the Hebrew does not mean denomina- denomination. Doesn't mean that either. It uh, doesn't mean domination. We know it means to care for. To be good stewards of, Right? See, God didn't say, look, I made you this wonderful gift. Now go see what you can do with it, or worse yet, do to it. He said, no, I've given you this great gift. It was like your first pet, right? What do you do with the pet? Take care of it. God said, here's the greatest gift of all, life, creation, earth, oxygen, resources, water, people, friends, spouses, children, grandchildren. Take care of it. And we're only these days, only now, thousands of years later, are we starting to come into the biblical truth that we're supposed to care for God's creation. And so discipleship isn't just going to Bible study in small group. It's picking up trash that other people left behind. It's setting your thermostat some to a certain place. It's just making decisions on the automobiles we drive. All of that's part of discipleship as we're caring for God's earth and as we're caring for the, God's most precious possession, which is each other. Right. See, when we care for each other, we're caring for the gift of creation. Because here's something I want to tell you. It's the king's garden. And someday we're going to be held accountable for it. And God's going to say, I gave you this amazing gift of all the world, and all the people around you, and here's going to be a challenge. What did you do with it? So at the end of this story, and I'm I'm going to get there, at the end of this story, God on the seventh day, on the complete day, seven men completion, it said that God rested. So honoring God is honoring the rest that's in creation, right? God rested. Do you know all the creation stories say that the gods or God rested. But in the other creation stories, the gods stay at rest because they created what? Slaves to do all their work. But in our story, it said on the seventh day, God rested and the word there implies that on the eighth day, he went back to work because he didn't create us to be slaves. He created us in God's own image 
to be the objects of our his affection, to walk with him, to care for the creation. So why in the world did God rest? God doesn't need to rest. In fact, you say, well, why, how do you know God didn't stay resting? Okay, I'll be a Bible scholar. Because they asked Jesus, why are you working on the Sabbath? Because he said, I am always working and my father is always working. So why did he rest? To show us that there is an image of rest that we all need. It says he honored that day and he hallowed it, right? In fact, everything tells us there's a need for a rhythm in our lives, a rhythm of rest. Anybody know these signs, any music people here? Come on, what are those? Oh, man, see, got one right in the front row, right? Mary Beth Cat was so proud of me this morning. Full rest, half rest, quarter rest, eighth rest, 16, 32, 64. Yeah, even in music, right? Even in music, the music is coming and it's beautiful and it's Mozart and it's Bach and it's rest. And it's back and it's the fifth symphony and it's going on and here it goes and then there's rest. You know what? If you go to a doctoral music class, you know what they tell you why rests are in musical scores? So that you don't make a measure over full. How about an over full life? God says, you, you know, Jesus said, you weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. So you don't have an overfull life. If Gordon Ramsay, if you cook with him and take a steak out of the oven and begin to eat it right away, he's going to scream at you. Why? Because you're supposed to let the food, right? Farmers have learned this, that you don't overfarm land time and time again, but on the seventh year you let it Fallow, right? I, my wife and I was speaking in D.C. and we went to Mount Vernon, you know, uh, the Washington estate. And there's all these acres of land. And it said all the tobacco farmers in Virginia, they have literally, somebody had a, like a million acres of land. You know why they had a million acres of land? Because they didn't know to let the land rest and they would over farm it and it would die. And instead, they just buy more land. They could have saved tons of money if they just let it rest and plant somewhere else and come back but we're like locusts we don't know how to do this i one of my best friends was a great nba all-star his name's otis thorpe google him he was part of that great houston championship team co-captain it with Akeem olajuwon and i used to go to otis's house when he played for houston he played with detroit here's this amazing 610 uh, 250 cut uh, uh, uh athlete chiseled down by the gods But it didn't matter when I was visiting him. We'd go out for breakfast. We'd go to a movie. But from 3 to 5 p.m. on game day, you know what he did? He rested. He took a nap. If I'd have bothered him, he'd have choked me. (laughs) And you know what the average uh, life of an NBA player is? 4.5 years. You know how many years Otis played? 18. Because he learned how to rest. See, we need to learn how to rest. This was written into the relation and the rhythm of creation. And let me tell you, when the Greeks and the Romans met the Jews, they thought they were lazy. Because on one day of the week, they rested. And, and you know, um, they, they weren't lazy. <coughs> they were some of the most productive people in the history of the world. Because they learned the rhythms. In fact, I live on Rabbi Row in Pepper Pike. I do. They renamed it clergy court just for me. I've been there 15 years. But on on Saturday, on Sabbath, I'm the only guy out there cutting my yard because they're resting. And not only that, I talked to my friend Rabbi Steve Weiss. Do you know on the Sabbath, they don't send emails? On the Sabbath, they don't look at social media. 
On the Sabbath, they've already prepared their meals beforehand. On the Sabbath, they look into their children's eyes at the tables. We suck in the Christian community at Sabbath. I'm so glad you've started your week in worship. It's wonderful. But what if you took the whole day and just consecrated it? <clears throat> Turned off your phones, got off social media, go and play. I'll be the only pastor in, in Cuyahoga County today that says, you want to go play golf on Sunday? Go. Go with your kids. Go with your family. But thank God. Take in the creation that God has given you. Right? And my kids and I did that. I was away uh, one weekend, and it happened to be a Sunday, and they said, let's go play golf. And I was like, oh, right? Because I was raised by, by, you go to hell if you play golf. <coughs> you ever heard the story of the Scottish preacher who called in sick? For he didn't want to go to preach and wanted to go play golf. And he went out, and he told his congregation he was sick. And he, had, um, he was on a 400-yard par four. Um, God, you're choking me up because I'm about to tell a lie. But... Um, <laughs> He hit the ball and it went like 300 yards and hit a rock and it rolled up on the green and went in the hole, hole in one on a 400-yard par four. St. Peter's up in heaven says, oh my God, God, why did you let that happen? The best shot of his life. He needs, did what he did. He said, yeah, but who's he going to tell? <laughs> but you know, I was out that week. My boy said, let's go play golf. And we did. And you know what happened? On the way, we were driving down South Carolina and we are going to a course on a Sunday and and my boy started saying, Dad, you remember when you taught us to play golf? And we started reminiscing over decades. And when we got to the golf course, you know what he did? We said, let's pray. We thank God for that time together. And we, we were consecrating. We were taking a day and making it holy. Can we start doing that? Carve some time out for play and for rest and for Sabbath. And remember that it's a gift. And that you are the product of a king who made a garden. And you don't need tickets to get in it. And you don't get charged admission. And you don't have to go through all the things that Hercules did to come into the presence. Just answer his call. And say, God, thank you. Can you just say that with me? Thank you. Thank you, God. Just thank you, God, for what you've given. I'm going to appreciate it. I'm going to care for it. I'm going to attend to it. I'm going to rest. And then on the Monday or the next day, I'm going to get back in the game and build your kingdom and tend your garden on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together as we close, as we pray, and then let the band lead us.